Two weeks ago, ISIS terrorists captured 21 Coptic Christians, marched them down in orange jumpsuits on a beach in Libya, and murdered them in front of a news camera. As they called out to Jesus. That's on top of widespread killing, enslaving, and raping that they are doing all across what used to be Iraq and Syria. As many as 300,000 Assyrian Christians, one of the oldest Christian communities in the world, dating from the time of the Apostle Paul, have been driven from their homes. Many of them driven out of the country. Uh, Boko Haram, a group that translates literally to books are banned, is a Nigerian Islamic terrorist group. It has kidnapped and enslaved 300 people in the last 12 months, many of them women, many of them also children, many of them from Christian communities. Over in China, ruling communists continue to imprison, to enslave, to torture, and to kill Christians by the thousands, just as they have every year since 1949. And these places, and others like them, are probably the worst offenders against Christians in the world. But there is beginning to be a cost even here. Cultural Christianity is dying out in the United States of America. Christianity is now a minority faith in, in the U.S. Its cultural influence is on the wane. The sexual revolutionaries have now arrived at a place of such cultural power that they are now seeking to silence anyone who dissents from the prevailing view, however gently that dissent might be offered. And I do not think that we as believers in Jesus Christ have yet paid the full price that we will pay in years to come if we are faithful to obey the Scriptures and if we are vocal about having done so. If we do not hide our faith, I think that we will pay the cost. And so I have called this message peacemaking in wartime. I don't think we're at war yet. And I doubt that the day will come, at least in my lifetime, where we will literally have to face down the guns like those 21 cops two weeks ago on the beach in Libya. But here, even here in the U.S., Christianity is a religion besieged. And we need to know how to respond as believers in Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. And I hope you found your way there. Uh, but if not, turn, turn with me over there and we'll look at these four verses together in our remaining time together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if you read that verse, I think the way to understand what it means is to start with the second half about being called sons of God. Because I think if we understand why that is the reward for being a peacemaker, I think we better understand what it means to be one. And to do that, I think you need to answer this question. How does God get rid of his enemies? Answer, he makes them his friends. How does God get rid of his enemies? He makes them his friends. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. How does God make peace? He sent Jesus Christ to reconcile 
the world to Him in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Reconciliation is a fancy word for making peace. Human beings exist from birth in rebellion against God. Amen? We are by nature and by choice sinners. To be a sinner is to say essentially to God, you have whatever commands you want, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what it means to be a sinner. And to do that is to declare war essentially against God. And God, because He loves us, and also and, and doesn't want to punish us for our sin because He is also just and has to, sends Jesus Christ and He says, I will pour out the punishment that is due you on Jesus Christ so that my mercy can be offered to you and my justice is also satisfied. And He establishes peace. And as a result, we have forgiveness of sin. We have adoption as God's children. We have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We have membership in the body of Christ. We have an inheritance in heaven with Christ. We have access to God directly through prayer. We have, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. And we are therefore no longer rebels at war with God. We're at peace. And we become His children and His friends. By God's grace through Jesus Christ. And it is a marvelous thing. And as a result, God calls us to be peacemakers just as He is a peacemaker. He established peace with us, and so He calls us to establish peace with other people. And I think there's there's two senses in which we might understand peacemaking. One is what I would call relational peacemaking. Relational peacemaking is something that we all understand. You put two sinners in a room together for longer than five minutes and eventually they're going to have conflict, right? It's going to happen. Uh, you, you, uh, you might stand up, uh, and I, I've done this, you know, I, I love to do weddings. I, I get a big kick out of weddings. Weddings are always a great fun day. And I stand up in front of God and everybody with these people and they swear before God that they will love each other and honor each other and cherish each other as long as they both shall live and through sickness and through health, for better, for worse, right? They do this. And the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, will you really? <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> All right. And you've got to learn how to do that, right? Why? Because naturally you're a sinner. And you get in conflict with people. As I've often joked, this is a true story. Karen and I had our first fight in the car, leaving the reception from our wedding. Okay? Why? Because she married a sinner. And so did I. Okay? God calls us to establish relational peace, though, with one another. That means that for a Christian, there are very few very limited circumstances in which you should be in ongoing bitter conflict that's unresolved with somebody. Whether it's your spouse or somebody you work with or a member of your family or a neighbor or someone who used to be a friend, uh, God calls us to establish peace with those people. Now, there are obviously a couple circumstances where that's not possible. You know, uh, the person is dead. Okay, you do your best you can on that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, the person maybe was an abuser. It might not be safe for you to try to reconcile with that person. 
I don't think God calls you to try to establish peace with somebody that abused you. Um, you can forgive them, but you don't have to reestablish that relationship. Uh, there are also some circumstances, obviously, too, where it's not that you're unwilling, but that they are, and they hold you at a distance. But a lot of times, the reason that we're not at peace with somebody is not any of those things. It's the fact that we haven't actually tried. We haven't been willing to humble ourselves enough to go to them and to say the three best words in the English language. I was wrong. Followed by these. Will you forgive me? But God calls us to be peacemakers. Amen? Because He has been a peacemaker with us. I think the other... The other aspect of peacemaking, and this comes in also tied into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Uh, I only gave you the first part of that verse earlier. Uh, second, the first half says this, God in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. But the second half is this, and this is key. And He entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. What's the message of reconciliation? It's the gospel. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And that you can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the message of reconciliation. And He has entrusted it to us. Here's the thing. Jesus' death and resurrection through which God made peace with not just us, but with the entire world does the entire world no good if they do not know about it. Amen? Paul says elsewhere, how will they know without someone preaching to them? How will people know what the message of reconciliation is if we do not tell them, we are the ones to whom that message has been entrusted. Amen? And we therefore have a responsibility to, as the Scripture says, go to every tribe, every nation, every people group, every language all over the world. Now, God may not call you to go to Indonesia or Tahiti, although God called me to Tahiti, I wouldn't complain. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, or to France, or to wherever, okay? But He is calling you to do this, for sure. To with those people He puts, you, puts into your life to share the message of reconciliation that you have been a beneficiary of and been entrusted with. Amen? You don't have to go across the ocean, but it would help if you would go across the street. Across the room. Across the fence in your backyard. And reach those who are within your circle of relationship with the message of reconciliation. Amen? And if you are a peacemaker in these two senses, you will be called according to Jesus, the Son of God. Now you would think, you know, we've looked at all we've looked at seven characteristics of people who have God's favor so far. Let me give them to you. Spiritual life begins with poverty of spirit which I have defined for us as recognizing your need for God's grace and the fact that you cannot save yourself. 
It's the opposite of, of being rich in spirit, of saying, I got this wired. I can handle this. I got it under control, right? A lot of people think that about their spiritual life and about their eternal destiny, that, well, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a pretty good girl, and I'm going to figure this out for myself. But spiritual life begins when we express poverty of spirit and recognizing that we are not going to get there on our own and humbly coming to God and receiving the gift that He offers. And then mourning over your sin and meekly turning control of your life over to God. And then hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness to be part of your life and extending mercy and grace to others, and then purifying yourself from sin, and then making peace with others, and also between them and God. These seven things are a pretty amazing list, really. You go through the, the other Beatitudes, you go, wow, you know, who could be mad at people like that, right? And you would think that if you exude these characteristics from your life, that it, you're going to have a lot of friends, and a lot of people are going to like you, but you would be wrong. Because Jesus says that if you live your life this way, that the next thing that's going to happen is persecution. How do we know that's what's going to happen? Because Jesus exemplified all of these perfectly, and they put him to death, okay? And a servant is like his master. Amen? And if we are the followers of Jesus Christ, to the extent that we imitate Him, and He did these things perfectly, then we also will be like Him in the treatment we receive from other people from the watching world. But we need to know how to, how to respond because we want to live a life that is approved by God. That's what blessed means. It means to have God's favor, to have His approval. How do we do that? Jesus said it this way, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we might read that and go, The persecuted are blessed? Really? Are you sure about that, Jesus? And I think that he knows that we will have a hard time really laying, laying a hold of that and embracing that and accepting that. And so he repeats it for us twice in different ways. And the second time he goes into detail about the types of persecution we might experience. He says, reviling, which is, you know, kind of, is, which is verbal. Persecution, which I think is more physical and uttering all kinds of evil against you. Slander. And then he says, on my account. And I think that's helpful to us in a couple of ways. Uh, first, it reminds us that while people might do all kinds of wicked things against us, uh, not all of them qualify as persecution. I've heard more than one story of somebody who who tells me, oh, pastor, I'm being persecuted for my faith. You know, my, I lost my job because of my faith. And then you dig into the details a little bit, and you find out, no, uh, you're not being persecuted for your faith. You're being, you're, you were let go from your job because you were lazy and incompetent. 
Okay. Uh, you're not being persecuted for your faith. You're being, you're being uh, made fun of because you are obnoxious and rude. Okay. The whole deal is on account of Jesus. Not on account of you were objectionable. That you were difficult to get along with. That you were a sorry employee. That you were a lousy friend. It's on account of righteousness. On account of Jesus. Because of your testimony. Not because you were a jerk. Right? And that matters. But there is genuine persecution, and it doesn't always take the pl- take the form necessarily of, uh, like I say, being lined up on the beach in an orange jumpsuit and told renounce Jesus or eat a bullet. Your choice. That's certainly the most extreme form of it, but there are other lesser forms of it too, and they count according to Jesus. Anybody ever been reviled for their faith? Anybody ever had people say things about you that were not true because of your testimony about Jesus? Yeah, that happens. If you listen to certain people in our cultural conversation, you will find out that if you are an evangelical Christian, that you are, let me list some adjectives here, that you are hateful, that you are intolerant, that you are narrow-minded, that you are bigoted, that you are puritanical, that you are intolerant, a whole, plus a whole host of other less kind adjectives, right? And the reality of living a unhidden Christian life is very often to experience the truth of the proverb that nail that sticks up gets pounded down. But nevertheless, how do we respond? With grace and peace. Why? Because that's how Jesus did. Peter says it this way. First uh, Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We don't have to lash back. We don't have to respond in kind. We don't have to be we repay nasty for nasty or evil for evil or slight for slight or insult for insult. We do not have to defend ourselves. Why? Here's a couple reasons. Here's one. Because ours is the kingdom of heaven. We know where we are going. And if you look at the apostles, whenever they were persecuted, whenever they suffered for the cause of Christ and the name of Jesus, what did they do? They rejoiced. Why? Because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. They were honored by it. Thought I must have been doing something right. Made all the right people mad. Okay, this is good. It means my Christian faith is authentic and real. And obvious enough that it draws the right kind of negative attention. 
but ours is the kingdom of heaven. And those who persecute us do not have the same confident hope. And they need the gospel. And they might, in fact, be drawn to it when they see our response. In fact, Christian history, if you read it, one of the interesting things that happens, whenever there was martyrdom in the church, one of the things that often happened was that the people who put these guys to death came to faith in Jesus seeing how they died. Starting, by the way, with the Apostle Paul himself, remember? When Stephen died and was put to death by stoning by this mob, Paul was there holding the coats and going, Go get them, boys. Get them. And he watched Stephen die and look up to heaven and pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, just like Jesus. And a little while later, Jesus appears to Paul and speaks to him and says, Hey, remember the guy you put to death? Yeah, he was following me. You're going to follow me too. And Paul came to faith in Christ, though he was a murderer and a persecutor of the church. And that happened over and over and over again. All down through church history, as people responded not with, not in, not, they didn't revile in turn, they didn't threaten back, they didn't respond and repay evil for evil. As they did that and suffered for the cause of Christ, even the people who were causing the suffering many times came to faith in Jesus. And we can face down whatever comes because we know that ours is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? We know where we're going. And no one can take it away from us. So what can anyone do to me? The worst thing that somebody can do to me is put me to death, right? But that's promotion day for a believer in Jesus. In fact, not only that, but, but Jesus says here that if you, if you die being persecuted, guess what? Not only is yours the kingdom of heaven, but you also get a great reward. Great reward in the kingdom of heaven. And in addition to that, you're in some really good company. You're in great company. You know, one of the things that people are afraid of a lot of times, being too vocal about their faith, is they go, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really want to be out front too bad on my faith because if I do that, well, I might lose friends. I might. I don't know what people would think of me. I, I really am not quite sure uh, how people would respond. And You know, I don't want to be out there all alone on my own. Jesus says you're not all alone. You will stand with the company of the prophets. Make your choice. Prophets or whoever these people are. Right? Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Elijah, or your boss. You pick. I mean, you know, I, mean, I don't know. But if it was me, I'm going to pick these guys. I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be ashamed or afraid of what Somebody might say, or what they might think of me, or what they might even do to me as a result. Because I'm in good company. Amen? Amen. Here's the bottom line. If you are a person who has peace with God, that produces peace with other people. At least it ought to. We ought to be the kind of people who make peace with others to the extent possible. And it make every effort as far as it depends on us to be at peace with all men. 
However, if you are living a Spirit-filled life, authentically exhibiting these kinds of virtues that Jesus outlined, you're going to have persecution that will come. If you stick out enough for Jesus and the Gospel, there are going to be people who hate you and revile you and slander you and maybe even try to harm you as a result. However, you will have the kingdom of heaven. You will, have, you will be named among the sons of God. You will have a great reward. You will stand in the company of the prophets. And you can therefore face down whatever comes your way with grace and peace, knowing that you will receive a great reward in the company of the redeemed. Right? If you live your Christian life like Jesus has been describing, persecution is probably going to come at some point. Maybe sooner, maybe later. But at some point it will happen. Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. That's what he tells Timothy. That will happen. But so will a reward that dwarfs it in comparison. And so will the kingdom of heaven. And so will the blessing and favor and approval of God. And so will the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come enjoy your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but from my perspective, that's all I could ever want out of this life that I would hear those words as I was welcomed into Jesus' presence. That's the life we're to live. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that the life that Jesus calls us to is not something that we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and achieve by our own effort. But as the Spirit fills us in response to Your gracious invitation, put our trust in Jesus Christ to transform us to look like and to produce these things as a natural overflow of the Spirit's presence. That we become people of mercy and grace. People who make peace. People who offer peace with God through the proclamation of the Gospel. People who are poor in spirit and mourn over their sin and long to see the righteousness of God displayed through them. And Father, if persecution comes, we'll recognize that we are blessed. That we have Your favor. And we will rejoice that we have been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus who suffered so much on our behalf. And we will keep proclaiming the only life that is truly life. Life that is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Father, we will do these things not by our own effort, your grace because of our faith in the one who saved us and bought us and brought us to you and father we pray these things in jesus name and by the spirit's power amen